encourage yourself. The enemies created walls, but remember giants, they do fall. Encourage yourself. Pray with me. God, thank you. That you give us opportunity to tear down walls that have been built up around us and destroy boxes that were made to hold us in. But we thank you, God, for the hope we found in our scripture lesson for today. And we thank you for the courage that our forefathers found for us to have freedom and hope in this place. So thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us. God, you've heard our praises and you've heard our prayers. Now, God, we long to hear a word from you. So speak through me to your people. Let them hear in these words, your words of help and hope. May we learn in this time to break out of the boxes in which we have lived and learn to truly live out proud. In the name of the box destroyer and the giant killer, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In this month, we have been living out proud, which is the theme of pride for this year. And through the month of June, we have been journeying through and querying some of the scriptures that highlight people in non-traditional roles and unexpected relationships with others. These folks with whom are our focus this month have all stood in places where they should not have been found. In fact, they have each burst forth from boxes in which their society had typically and habitually placed them. Have you ever been there? Ever been boxed in? Ever been inappropriately labeled? Ever been stifled or suffocated by the world's expectation of you and yours? Have you been limited based on your gender, your race, or your orientation? Yep, yep, and yep, all of those. The first week of June, Reverend Kristen shared the story of Deborah with us. As you recall, she was a prophetess, and if that wasn't strange enough, she was also the only female judge throughout the history of Israel. She fought battles literally in a role completely outside of the expected for women, particularly in that day, and unfortunately not much has changed since then. I'm guessing perhaps that since she didn't appear to be limited based on her gender and her role in society, that they just must not have had boxes back then. That's the only thing I can figure is that they just didn't have any boxes to put her in, so they didn't put her there. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who was occasionally known for placing people in boxes, got out of his box, or God drew him out of his box long enough to remind us in his letter to the Galatians, there in chapter 3 where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I think Paul was the product of his culture, much like all of us are, and he knew better. But often he got messed up about the boxes in which folks place one another, and we sometimes place ourselves. You know, in all my time being educated by the Baptists, who, by the way, are completely against women in leadership roles and who would just die that I'm standing here today, <laughs> they never really talk much about Deborah and her time as prophetess and judge. It makes you wonder. I'm guessing that that's just not a box that they wanted to open. Then last week, Colt Meyer led us on an incredible journey through the life of the unknown Ethiopian eunuch that we find in the book of Acts. Here is another minority, a foreigner from a different country who was also sexually non-normative, whom God used to enlarge the box 
and to broaden the gate into the realm of God. The eunuch, remember, Colt reminded us, asked some really important questions. Questions, Colt said, that really mattered. Those questions the Ethiopian eunuch asked changed things. They opened up a world of possibility and dismantled another box. What prevents me, remember he said, from being baptized? The eunuch asked Philip, who was a disciple of Jesus. Philip, remember, saw nothing, no limitation, no hindrance. Philip only saw the possibilities, letting us know that there are no boxes allowed at baptisms. Thank goodness. Isn't that amazing? Like Colt said, though, last week, he went through 13 years of Catholic school and never heard about that either. I remind you again of what Paul said in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Not cult. We didn't spend too much time while I was in the growing up talking about eunuchs either. When we did hear a sermon about this particular passage of scripture in the Baptist church, it was simply about baptism because we'll baptize anybody. <laughs> you know, the Duncan way. <laughs> and we talked nothing about this gender non-normative person that was mentioned in this book. They didn't bother to even bring that box into the building. I think it was just much too risky for them. But today I invite you outside of the box to consider the story of Ruth and Naomi and how God used their unique situation, their atypical scenario, and their uncharacteristic relationship to actually change the course of history. Perhaps you remember their story. Elisa read the first part of it in our scripture lesson for today. She read the entire first chapter of Ruth. It's a really good story. I invite you to read all four chapters. But in the days it begins when the judges, like Deborah, had ruled. There was a famine in the land, and some folks went from Bethlehem in Judah to live in the land of Moab. One such couple that moved there was Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons. While in Moab, the two sons stepped out of the box of tradition and took for themselves Moabite wives. Eventually, over the course of ten years, the scripture tells us that Elimelech died, and then in between, during that time, his two sons died as well. Naomi was left in a foreign land with only her two daughters-in-law. So without any blood family remaining, Naomi made the decision to return to her homeland and encouraged her two daughters-in-law to remain there in their hometown and return to their mother's place since Naomi was older and was unable to provide them more sons for them to eventually marry. This was, of course, their custom during that day. Women, once they married into a family, were now then the property of the family in which they married. But Orpha, one of the daughters-in-law, respected Naomi's wishes and returned to her hometown of Moab. But Ruth, however, refused to return. And the scripture says that Ruth clung to Naomi. Can't you just picture her hanging on for dear life like a little kid, not wanting to leave her mommy or daddy on the first day of kindergarten? Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Doesn't all that seem a little bit strange to you? Here's where the story goes right off the proverbial road and straight into the ditch, where the completely unexpected occurs. 
Ruth has entirely obliterated this box that we've been talking about. You see, when someone talks about their mother-in-law, do you ever anticipate them saying something nice? Not usually. Truth be told, that's her there. Yeah. <laughs> that could not have been more perfect. Truth be told, we expect some type of negative comment or some humorous anecdote because mother-in-law caricatures have been a standard centerpiece of ridicule and comedy for years and perhaps even centuries, just maybe not as far back as the story of Ruth goes. I can just imagine, Kim, that that's your mother calling us even though she's dead. <laughs> this is what we've come to expect on this notepad here. Dear mother-in-law, Please stop bossing me around, and she's crossed that out. No need to visit, and she's crossed that out. Thanks for raising such a wonderful son. <laughs> Love your loving daughter-in-law. Someone actually getting along with their mother-in-law and having the choice and then choosing to stay with them is completely unexpected and totally outside the box, isn't it? With all these stories, the story of Deborah, the prophetess and judge, the woman warrior, if you will, and this Ethiopian eunuch who was a foreigner and a sexual non-normative person. And now Ruth and Naomi, we are introduced to situations that quite honestly we don't anticipate to see. And they certainly don't fit inside the boxes in which we've come to expect. Perhaps the scripture is teaching us to think outside the box. But we are often so bound to that box that we don't even see things outside of the ordinary. We don't expect to see them because, like the rest of the world, we've been trained to view life through the lens of the majority, of majority privilege even, and namely heterosexuality in this case, because life can be so random to explain and so difficult to grasp. I think it is quite often sometimes natural to steal one of their words because they assume you're only natural when you're like them, to attempt to put ideas and concepts and people and situations into nice, neat, predictable boxes. I would suggest today that we see what we know already, that we see what we have the capacity to see, or that we actually want to see. This would explain then why heterosexuals for years have used this text from the book of Ruth, spoken by a woman to another woman and her mother-in-law at that, for their own sacred wedding vows. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. Where thou hast lodged, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, my God, your God. Now isn't that something? They have no clue, do they? You see, the story in Ruth continues with Ruth, Ruth meeting up with some of Naomi's kinfolk and gleaning from their fields in order for Ruth to provide for both Naomi and herself. And eventually the family member and owner of this field was a wonderful man named Boaz. He marries Ruth, and the three of them, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, to borrow a line from a few fairy tales, live happily ever after. Ruth and Boaz ended up having children, and they were the grandparents of King David, an ancestor of Jesus, ultimately. And, for, and from such scandalous, outside-of-the-box relationships, can you imagine? Scholars and preachers alike have often made the assumption that Ruth and Boaz are heterosexuals. 
This very well may be true, and through the lens of heterosexism and privilege, it most certainly is. What if, however, Ruth and Naomi were lesbians? Better yet, what if Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz were bisexuals and lived together comfortably as a threesome? I'm getting a little scandalous, right? Regardless of how we might have actually described their relationship, in spite of how, what formation it may have taken, and despite how uncomfortable that makes many of us, including myself, one author said this, Ruth's love for Naomi crossed ethnic and patriarchal boundaries. Where you go, I'll go. They thought outside the box that they knew and chose to live life in a way that honored their love for one another, regardless of the labels, regardless of the boxes. I believe that we find ourselves throughout Scripture, and even here, if we look long enough and hard enough and get outside of the boxes and see a bigger picture and a much larger world than we know or have ever been told about. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Reverend, our own Reverend Elder Mona West in the Queer Bible Commentary had this to say about this relationship. She says, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz make the decision to create their own family and to find their own understanding of kinship and responsibility to one another within the context of the inheritance and kinship laws of ancient Israel. These actions, she said, are similar to the ways in which queer people of today create families. A bisexual man and two lesbians live together with their biological child. A gay man is a sperm donor for a lesbian couple and is part of the parenting of that child. Three gay men live together as lovers and family for 20 plus years. A lesbian mother and her lover live two doors down from her gay son and his lover. This is what she says. I would suggest then that perhaps we need to widen our lens of understanding in order to see life from a much larger perspective than simply our own small limited one that often leaves others or ourselves boxed in and our minds closed tightly. It's time, folks, where I can be free to be me, regardless of who I am, regardless of how I self-identify, and regardless of with whom I choose to be in relationship. It's high time that we are free to be ourselves. Don't you agree? One size box does not fit all. It's time to stop making apologies for who we are and start celebrating who we are. Let's live out proud. Isn't this why we celebrate Juneteenth? Juneteenth, as you may well know, and as Reverend Michael mentioned at the opening this morning, is itself a celebration of freedom. Freedom to be people and not just someone's property. Freedom from another type box, if you will, that our African-American brothers and sisters were held in far, far too long. Even after they were legally set free by the Emancipation Proclamation that was delivered by the President of the United States, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. One website article that Vicki Gibbs sent me about Juneteenth says this, it is important that we celebrate Juneteenth because freedom is always worth celebrating and it is ultimately what Juneteenth is about. Juneteenth or June 19, 1865 
is considered the date when the last slaves in America were free, almost two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and two months after the Civil War had ended. The slaves had been placed in boxes of their master's construction because it was beneficial to the master to keep them there, tightly bound in it. But we too create boxes, don't we? Or we've had them created for us in order for others maybe to manipulate us or control us or to make their lives easier and always at the victim's own expense. This is what boxes do, right? They restrict us. They restrain us. They ruin others because of limited vision, ignorant thinking, or racist ideas often held by the majority in the world. When General George Granger rode into Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865, you could see the dust from the soldiers' horses in the distance as they were approaching. You can imagine the anxiety mixed with joy in the hearts of our enslaved ancestors. The record tells us that when they heard the news of freedom, they alternately sang and prayed and danced. There was much rejoicing and jubilation that their lifelong prayers had finally been answered. Many of the slaves left their masters immediately upon being freed in search of other family members, in search of economic opportunities, or simply in search because they could. They left, because, they left with nothing but the clothes on their backs and hope in their hearts. Oh, freedom. I hope we can truly appreciate the moment, the first Juneteenth celebration, because African Americans were emerging from a long, dark night and breaking free from their boxes. This was a time of great promise. For the first time since they had been in this land, the U.S. Constitution would protect them and grant them their true rights as U.S. citizens. We shall all be free, right? One day. However, they soon realized slavery's bitter legacy was just beginning to unfold and that equality was to remain an elusive dream. Oh, freedom. Yet we continue to claim this verse. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, neither male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. If, Paul says, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises of God. We are heirs, all of us. Gay, straight, bisexual, transgendered, intersex, African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian, and all the million other things that we represent even in this very room. We really are free. We must simply claim it as we have found ourselves even among the pages of Scripture anew this day. I'll close as we begin. The contemporary word really is true. Anytime, they say, we label or fence off areas of our lives or box ourselves in, I'll add, we limit God's own possibilities. And when we limit, we deal spiritual and emotional death besides making ourselves spiritually and emotionally small. We fly in the face of God, arrogantly informing God that what God has created cannot be, is not right or good. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz caught just a glimpse of God's creational love, unbounded and all-encompassing, and they dared to do the painful work of questioning their own prejudices 
and their own boundaries. They dared to let go of the long-held biases in favor of what God was revealing. And they realized how similar all humans are, rather than how different in the foreigner, the outsider. They each saw their own dreams and fears and hopes. That same longing for peace, happiness, and love. No matter our skin color, no matter our cultural oddities, no matter our dress, no matter whom we date or with whom we couple, this vision led them to establish relationships that were outside the boundaries of their traditional culture. This type of thinking allows one to see God in the other. And where God is, there is respect, loving kindness, and responsibility toward each other. We are therefore free to be ourselves. You know, I just realized as we came in here for the 11 o'clock service, and I sat down and I was looking out, and I spotted right back there Reverend Willie White and his partner, Robert Pace. What you don't know, on the third Sunday of November in 1994, at seven o'clock in the evening, I was set free. I walked into the doors of St. John's Metropolitan Community Church, a church that those two men started in February of 1976. They were seminary students at the seminary I ended up going to several years later. And on the campus of NC State University, they held a class, a Bible study, and they invited other people to come, other gay people to come. And one man came that first night, and he is still a member of St. John's Metropolitan Community Church in Raleigh, North Carolina to this very day. I walked in the doors of that church not knowing what it was going to be like. A gay church, it didn't compute with me because people had told me that didn't fit the box. But I was set free because Willie White stepped out of his box several years before and he allowed me to be free. And every time I see that man in this church, and who knew several years later we'd end up in this place, in Houston, Texas, of all things. But he came to me one day, and I hardly recognized him. And he said, Terry, I'm Willie White. He's one of my heroes. Because his simple act, his simple act of opening a door and dismantling a box has set me free. And I'm grateful. We really can be free. We are free. If you belong to Christ, you are clothed with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm claiming that promise for myself. I want to be free to be me. You are free to be you, regardless of how it is. Mom, you can wear your disco hat. You're free to be to be you. Right, Robert? 
are free in Jesus. Amen. Amen.